Welcome to the Intellectual Freedom Podcast. Here we analyze politics, culture, technology, personal growth and development, and society at large through the lens of critical thinking and open-mindedness, not demagoguery and partisan hyperbole. Dr. David Hopkins, Humanities Professor, your host and guide. So without further delay, let's get started. I'm going to put you on the spot right from the outset of this podcast. It is pop quiz time. Those words all across the country, (laughs) students hate to hear them. And if you haven't been in school for years or decades, well, you may cringe in remembrance of the words pop quiz. However, let's see how many of these questions you can get right. Number one, in low-income countries around the world today, how many girls complete primary school? Is it 20, 40, or 60%? The answer is 60%. Isn't that amazing? That number has quadrupled over the last 40 or 50 years. Question number two, where does the majority of the world's population live? Is it in low, middle, or high-income countries? Answer, middle. That preconception that every, the huge bulk of the world population comes from these impoverished, starving countries in the world is actually quite false. Number three, in the last 20 years, the number of people living in extreme poverty has A, almost doubled, B, remain the same, or three, been cut in half? The answer is cut in half. What an amazing accomplishment for the globe. And when I'm talking extreme poverty, you know I'm talking those that uh, no running water, uh, no cars, no electricity, uh, barely trying to survive. We have literally, literally chopped that in half in the last 20 years. Incredible. There are 2 billion children in the world today aged 0 to 15. How many will there be in the year 2100, just a mere 79 years from now? Will there be 4 billion, 3 billion, or 2 billion? The answer is 2 billion. You know, we've been hearing this mantra forever that the world is going to eat itself out of all resources because the population is going to keep going up and up and up and up and up forever and ever and ever. And oh my gosh, we're just going to kill ourselves eventually. It's false. It's false because those in extreme poverty tend to have the most children because of, because they have a much higher infant mortality rate. So thus, as you eliminate the number of people in extreme poverty, the need to have seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven kids, it goes down. And so now all of a sudden we start to see population stabilize, which is actually what we're seeing right now. Next question. How did the number of deaths from natural disasters change over the past 100 years? Has it more than doubled? Has it remained the same? Or has it been cut in half? The answer, it's been cut in half unbelievable unbelievable you turn on the news when that natural disaster 
happens. You would think there's a natural disaster killing thousands of people all the time. The fact is, with technology, with the the ability to get resources when an event occurs to a place literally within 24, 48 hours has saved countless lives. Next one. Worldwide, 30-year-old men have spent, on average, 10 years in school. How many years have women of that same age spent in school? Is it nine years, six years, or three years? The answer is nine years. How amazing that gender gap is shrinking very, very quickly as women globally are gaining the same access to education that men have. It's not quite equal, but it's getting darn close. Next question. How many people in the world have some access to electricity? Is it 20%, 50%, or 80%? The answer is 80%. Isn't that wonderful that as people are leaving, as as countries are ex- exiting from the status of extreme poverty into low income they're gaining access to electricity they're gaining access to to one of the most vital resources you could have to completely revolutionize your standard of living so how did you do on your quiz did you earn an a if you're like the bulk of people in the modern western world you did actually terrible Until maybe you started to figure out that these questions were loaded and you started guessing the most optimistic answer. However, if I would have just given you the entire quiz without giving you an answer after each and every question, my guess is, my bet is, you would have done much worse. Students of all ages and all times have always figured out ways to cheat on tests. So... I've been looking forward to this podcast for a long time as there is so much here that is crazy positive going on in the world today and we don't ever or almost never talk about the positives. But in addition to the positives today, I do want to talk about how we can break through that, oh, this, oh, this woe is me. The world is ending. What happened to earth? It's the end of the world as we know it type rhetoric that we constantly hear and we start to ingrain into our mind and we get this negativity swirling around us. So there's a book that I, that I think is simply a must read for anyone on the planet who wants to truly learn how to interpret the world. The name of the book is called Factfulness. And the author is Hans Rosling. He's really quite a guy. He was a medical doctor. He worked the front lines in some of the most impoverished countries of the world. Uh, Later on, he turned into a data scientist, professor, lecturer, writer. Uh, Unfortunately, he died of pancreatic cancer back in 2008, uh, just at the time he was finishing this particular book, Factfulness. But what he teaches in this book is how to read, how to interpret, and how to understand the real truth of things by looking at actual data. 
please, if you stress about our world and you struggle to understand all that's going on with the current disgusting media landscape, this, this book really is a roadmap to understanding. A couple of things really stood out to me when I read the questions and then the answers with the data that backed them up. And, and by the way, when I took a quiz and inside that book, there's a full length quiz. I just took a, a smattering of the questions. I did awful on that quiz. I mean, just terrible. And this particular quiz has been given literally hundreds of thousands of times. And the percent correct average across all of Western democracies is about 30%. Basically, as he, as uh, Mr. Rosling talks about in the book, that's about the same uh, correct response rate as a chimpanzee would get just randomly pointing a finger at A, B, C, D answers. But what I want to talk about today, or besides just the positive, aren't those just amazing things? And the book talks about those. Poverty levels are literally at global all-time lows. Uh, vaccination levels of children all across the globe are at all-time highs. The number of people dying from famine are at all-time lows. It's just, it ticks box after box after box of some of the amazing things that are going on in society today. And it's so important that we don't let us fall into negative thinking about everything all the time. Because us humans, you and I, we have a very, almost a comical, dramatic instinct. We over-dramatize pretty much everything including our view of the world. This drama instinct, it distorts our views and moves us to grab on to the most dramatic and the most negative responses about pretty much everything in the world we live in. But this overdramatic worldview, it's not caused simply by out-of-date knowledge as we have access to the most information that we've ever had before. And it's too lazy and it's too egotistical to blame everything on the evil-minded media, propaganda, fake news, even though, of course, they don't help for sure. And we all know this. Uh, science is showing that the human brain seems almost hardwired to, to mitigate risks we take by jumping immediately to extreme solutions. Our brains, they jump to these conclusions without thinking all the time. Uh, this used to be very helpful because it would help humans avoid immediate danger. But let's be honest. Humans are interested in gossip. We love dramatic stories. These used to be the only source of news and useful information before we arrived where we're at today. We crave sugar and fat in droves. That used to be a life-saving source of energy when food was scarce. Now, in 2021, more people will die from health-related obesity than almost any other disease. So, we are what we are, but here is where we need to break. We don't forever have to be what we are if we're willing to open our mind to different perspectives. So, let's start to expand our perspective here and talk about some of the ingrained misconceptions. And again, that book, Factfulness, goes in insane detail on these. Uh, but when we take on these mi misconceptions, 
and we get them. Hopefully, in the end, by the end of this podcast, you can walk away with a much more positive appreciation of this crazy yet amazing world we're living in and not fall into that trap of the misconception. So let's talk about those. Number one, big conception number one, the world's divided between rich and poor countries. This is absolutely and completely false. The majority of people in this world, I'm not talking the United States, I'm talking literally the entire globe, live neither in low-income nor in high-income countries, but in middle-income countries. This category doesn't exist really in the divided mindset. It's so much easier to divide us up to rich versus poor. Uh, the new racial wars likes to divide us up into two into camps based on our how much melatonin we have in our skin. That's the way to divide us up. But in reality, these divisions, they're not an accurate depiction. But back to the world and the globe, 75% of humanity lives between extreme poverties. You know the extreme poverty, and when I say extreme poverty, I'm talking about the lowest level. I'm talking they have no electricity in their house. They have no running water, meaning they would have to take uh, barrels and go pump water somewhere and bring it back to the house just to cook and to clean with. We're talking they have no cars. We're talking about walking literally everywhere where three meals a day are not a given. And then, of course, we know the other extreme of wealth. It's that cushy, marshmallow, modern world that we live in, in America, and most of Western Europe lives in. So I don't need to give you what we have. We get mad sometimes if we go to a parking lot at the mall and we have to walk a long distance. I mean, that kind of cushiness. You you know what that is. But, but why do we divide everything? What, what's this division bias all about. I think this is because human beings have this strong dramatic instinct towards binary thinking. Black or white, yes or no, ones or zeros in computer language. Uh, it's this basic urge to divide things into two distinct groups with nothing but some big old empty gap in the middle. We love to dichotomize good versus bad, heroes versus villains, my country versus the rest. Dividing the world into two distinct sides, it's simple and intuitive. It's also dramatic because it does imply conflict out of the gate. And we do it a lot of times without even really thinking about it. We like perceptions like this, whether we want to admit it or not, but they're dead wrong. The idea all cops are racist, all blacks are criminals, all millennials are lazy, all rich people are greedy. You get the idea in politics. Oh, I'm, I don't even want to get started on this. If you hate Trump, everything he was, everything he is, and everything he will be is from the devil. Many conservatives would say the same thing about Joe Biden. This binary world is easy to mold anything into a canned worldview that refuses to evaluate and change. It takes humility. It takes open-mindedness. It takes work to break out of the division of these tendencies. This is why politicians always play on division is because it's so simple and it's so easy and it takes no brain work and people just naturally tend to go to it. And so thus rhetoric of division 
is for the most simple-minded people, and quite frankly, from what I see from the actions of our politicians, most of them are incredibly simple-minded. So, besides that division instinct, here's another thing that kind of leads us to be negative about stuff. Number two, it's called a gap instinct. And this goes completely hand-in-hand with our division tendencies. The gap instinct makes us imagine division where there's where there's just, in actuality, a smooth range of things. Because most things aren't extreme. Inside the middle of the, of the extreme end sit the bulk of things most of the time. So this thing is so common. The gap instinct is so common and it distorts the data so fundamentally it borders on absurdity. It's no wonder politicians, activists, and the media abuse the living heck out of this instinct. If you look at the news or click on a a lobby group's website this evening, you'll probably notice stories about conflict between two groups or phrases. Here's one of the most big things. The increasing gap between X and Y. Think about it. If we take the extreme on one side, and the extreme on the other side of pretty much anything, the chasm, the gap, looks like a grand canyon, a completely unbreachable division. Yet, in the middle of all this, that big old range from the extremes, where the majority of the data points usually sit on pretty much any topic, that gets no notice by the media. Politicians, activists, propaganda machines, they're more interested in making a point than showing the truth, which is usually the full range of things. So this leads to that ugly comparison of extremes. We are naturally drawn to these extreme examples, and they're easy to, because they're really easy to recall, and they're really easy to sell, quite frankly. For example, if we're thinking about global inequality, We might think about stories we have seen on the news about famine in the Sudan or in Africa somewhere on the one hand. And then flash forward to the other extreme where our grocery stores are constantly stocked with hundreds of thousands of items. And if we're asked to think about different kinds of government systems, we might quickly just kind of recall uh, on the one hand very corrupt, oppressive dictatorships of communism or socialism like China or Venezuela. And then on the other hand, we have these amazing Western democracies like the United States or Sweden uh, that have welfare systems and and bureaucrats dedicated to the, their lives to safeguarding the rights of all citizens. And we all we all know that's a that's a pipe dream in, in practice. But in theory, you get the chasm idea. So these stories of opposites, they're very engaging and they're very provocative and they're very tempting to just suck on to those things. Uh, And they're very effective for triggering our gap instinct, but they very rarely are actually accurate or do they help us understand what's going on from a big picture. There will always be the richest and the poorest. There will always be the worst regimes and the best regimes in governments. But the fact that extremes exist doesn't tell us much except to get us all fired up. The majority 
is usually found somewhere in the middle. And it tells a very different story. Take Brazil, one of the largest, wealthiest, most powerful countries in South America. It's also one of the world's most unequal countries. The richest 10% in Brazil earn 41% of the total income. Disturbing, right? I mean, it sounds high. We can appreciate that sort of sickening look at inequality gap because we have it here in our country as well, the United States. What immediately comes to mind when you hear that get that gap between the rich and the poor is news stories everywhere showing some greedy, chubby, or fat elite billionaire stealing resources from all the rest. Images of the very rich. Often not the richest 10% make it to the media, but the richest 0.1%. You know the type, the ultra-rich, the Jeff Bezos, the Warren Buffett, the Bill Gates type wealthy. Oh, and their boats and their horses and private jets and huge mansions. That's the imagery that the media throws up there versus life in the favelas where just surviving a day is is a victory sometimes. And yes, the number is disturbingly high in Brazil and the news talks about it all the time as well as most developed in developing countries. But at the same time, that gap has never been that low for decades. Statistics are often used in very dramatic ways for political purposes. But it's important that they also help us navigate reality because almost never in the news would you ever see a story. Wow, the 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 gap of income is actually shrinking to near all-time lows in Brazil. That doesn't sell newspapers it's not dramatic things are getting a little bit better don't sell things are terrible and look at the disparity that sells in brazil it's surely better and more equal than it was in the colonial days facts it the fact is of course there's a lot of work to be done but progress is happening to deny progress just because it doesn't mesh with our own preconceived worldview is not the characteristic of an open-minded person. The final instinct to guard against that I want to talk about is the size instinct. You and I tend to get things out of proportion. I don't mean to sound rude. Getting things out of proportion or misjudging the size of things is something that we humans do naturally as well. It's instinctive to look at a lonely number and misjudge its importance. The media is the... Size instincts friend. Pretty much a journalist's professional duty to make any given event or any given one fact or any one number sound more important than it is. The journalists know that it feels almost inhuman to look away from an individual in pain. The two aspects of the size instinct together with the negativity instinct, make us systematically underestimate the progress that we have made in the world today. Here's just some amazing facts, and I want to throw these out here now. About 20% of people are having their base, are just having their basic needs met. 20%, that means 80% are there. The proportion of children that are being vaccinated is 88% globally. Proportion of people with electricity, 85%. Proportion of girls in primary school, 90%. We have halved 
the amount of people who die from natural disasters. I, I mean, you know, the use of numbers that sound enormous together with constant images of individual suffering that are presented by the activists and the media, they distort people's view of the world that everything is always going wrong. And they systematically ignore or underestimate the massive proportions of incredible global progress. So the book Factfulness cites an example in the author's home country of Sweden. But as you hear this example, you can arrive at your own examples of and how you know how our media hypes the living heck out of one event, but basically ignores more significant numbers with greater data. And this has a dire long-term impact in shaping our public perceptions if if we're not on guard to look for, for deeper facts. So the story, there was a story once of someone that had the tragic, and it was a brutal murder of a mother of three uh, by an abusive husband, was bare, barely reported on one given day in the national media. And even the local newspaper barely even covered it. But on that same day, a 40-year-old father of three living living far north in the far reaches of Sweden, uh, happened to be killed by a bear while he was out hunting. And he was the first person that had been killed by a bear in Sweden since 1902. I mean, that that's a brutal, tragic, uh, horrific way to die, there's no doubt. Uh, but this rare event received massive coverage throughout all of Sweden, uh, you know, Stoking up fears. Do we need to be afraid of bears now? Bear, bear maulings on the rise. Oh, the bears, the bears. Um, that that attack was a one in a century, once in a century event. Meanwhile, a woman is killed by her partner every thirty days in domestic violence. That's a in Sweden. I'm talking here. This is a thirteen hundred fold difference in magnitude, and yet one more domestic murder barely even registered on the radar screen while the hunting death was big news despite what the media coverage might make us think each death equally tragic and horrendous despite what the media might may might want to make us think people who care about saving lives should be much more concerned about domestic violence than about bears i'm still waiting for this summer what's going to happen is somebody on the Atlantic side of Florida is going to be bitten by a shark. There's going to be a shark attack. Hopefully they won't die. Uh, but the reality is every year in Florida, on the east coast of Florida, on the beaches, someone is usually killed by a shark, one a year. It's going to make headline news all over the place. It's going to be hyped beyond belief. But you can also guarantee if it happens, I hope it doesn't, but if and when it happens, the shark attack in Florida, there's going to be a young African-American who's going to be murdered in a gang fight somewhere in Miami, or maybe it'll be Tampa or Orlando or Jacksonville. And that's not even going to barely make the news. It'll be a five second scroll at the bottom of a, of a TV screen if, if it even gets mentioned on TV. That's this problem. 
the size instinct is important. It's not headline news. Breaking news. Brazil is getting better at income inequality. What is breaking news is look at that rich billionaire out on his yachts while the the poorest of the poor can't even have one meal today. Get the difference? Get why we have to be careful? So here's some final tips to not get all meshed up in the negative, but to remain open-minded. So how do we fight against all these instincts? And, and ultimately what we're talking about here is a negativity bias. Number one, we need to change, change how you think about things. Don't try to balance out every negative story with an equally positive one. That's binary thinking. That's what politicians do. Because when you do that, you risk creating a self-deceiving or maybe even a comforting or a misleading bias in the other direction. It would be as helpful as balancing too much sugar with too much salt. It would make things more exciting, but probably much less healthy. You don't have to justify absolutely everything. So if a negative story... And I saw this a lot with Donald Trump was president. I'm seeing it again with Joe Biden. So if a negative story comes out about Trump or Biden, if you're a supporter of either one of those, instantaneously, what do you want to do? Jump to, well, there's also this great story and you can't believe he just did this too. So thus, you don't have to balance out every single negative story with a positive one because you can't be open-minded when you do this. Number two, fight that human urge that if you think things are good, you must think you're going to come across as some uncaring ogre. You know, when I when you say things or when I say things are getting better, I'm not saying negative things are not happening. I'm certainly not advocating looking away from terrible problems in the world. Just because I would say right now, there's more opportunities for minorities in America than at any time in history. It doesn't mean that I'm saying that there are no problems for any minority anywhere in the United States, right? You can acknowledge positive while also acknowledging there's still room for improvement. I'll use a different analogy for you. I, The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they won the Super Bowl last year, right? I follow them. I've follow them closely. So last year, they won the Super Bowl. And we could see improvements from our normal average to pathetically below average past performances, right? We could see it. We could be optimistic. We, we were getting excited as the season was going along. But it surely wasn't clear going into November that we were actually going to make a run to the Super Bowl. We were not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. We weren't celebrating the Super Bowl win in November, December. Yes, we were improving, but no, not everything was perfect. And no Bucks fan who's honest ever relaxed and said in October, November, ah, no need to worry or care about anything. We got this Super Bowl all wrapped up. Same thing about our worldviews. It's okay. You're not an ogre to admit that things are getting better. We can be happy about that. We can be excited that things are getting better. But we can do this without being complacent, uncaring, overconfident, or assume all, we, all is well and all is, 
always going to be well. Because that's just a recipe for disaster. So expect bad news. Of course bad things are going to happen. They do happen. And they have happened. To think otherwise is not just short-sighted. It's, it's delusional. Remember that media and activists, they rely on drama to get your attention. Remember that negative stories are more dramatic than neutral or positive stories. Remember how simple it is to construct a story of crisis from a temporary dip pulled out of its context of a long-term improvement. Remember that we live in a connected and transparent world where reporting about suffering is better than it has ever been before. It's easier to do it. Keep in mind that the positive changes may be more common, but they're not going to find you. You have to seek them out and find them yourself. Number four, don't censor history. When we hang on to a rose-tinted version of history, we deprive ourselves and our children of the truth. The evidence about the terrible past, it's scary. But it's a great resource. It can help us to appreciate what we have today and provide us with hope that future generations will, as previous generations always did, get over the dips and continue the long-term trends towards peace, prosperity, and solutions to big global problems. I think that's why I'm most disturbed about the destruction of statues, even if they're Civil War statues for the Confederacy. That event happened. We can't change that event. To eliminate those things that censor or remove history is a dangerous place to go. Because just because a statue is gone doesn't mean things are going to get better. And they don't. We've had hundreds and hundreds of statues and things demolished from last summer. Did that help anything? Anywhere? Anyhow? It's a problem. We have to be careful about our history. Uh, number five, use the 80-20 rule. Whenever I have to compare lots of numbers or things and work out which are the most important, this is an age-old thing called the 80-20 rule, and you've probably heard of it. Use the simplest. It's, it's incredibly simple. Look for the largest numbers. We tend to assume that all items on a list are equally important, but usually just a few of them are more important than all the others put together. Whether, it whether it's causes of deaths or items in a budget, customer service problems, probably your most, uh, how shall I deem them, active customers uh, cause about 80% of the work. Hey, if you're into sales, Probably the top 20% of your customers generate 80% of your revenue. It's just kind of a weird number that seems to work out. So focus first on understanding those that make up the 80% of a total, whatever that total you may be looking at for a moment. Uh, before you get down into the smaller ones, the smaller ones might be more dramatic, but look at the, look at the, the number that makes up the bulk of things first. I hope this makes you feel a little better about the world. See, it isn't all bad. There's some incredible, wonderful things that are happening in the world. Yet our challenge, yours and mine, is not to let ourselves get into things with so biased, closed-minded, or without having our critical thinking radar up to evaluate our world. And do it with humility, with curiosity, 
and not thinking the world is going to end every single day as statistically that's not going to happen. You know, we just need to pay attention to things like, you know, division. Who's doing the division and why they're trying to divide us? That gap instinct which fits that division instinct really carefully. That we that we only look at the extremes, but the big old bulk of that 80-20, they sit somewhere in the middle. And if we really want to know how things are going, we need to evaluate the middle. And then that negativity bias. We just can't succumb to the media. And I'm almost to the point now that I never watch it. I I just never watch it. I want to know the weather and the sports. And anything else, I really am struggling, or just local news, struggling to find any value that they ever bring to the table in anything that they do. And I'm almost to the point that it's if I'm watching it, it's only for comedic effect because it's dangerous. And they're feeding far too often these biases that that I don't need to succumb to and you don't need to succumb to anymore. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, click like or follow and you'll be alerted when new episodes come available. And let's, from the day forward, try and do a better job of being open-minded and not so negative about everything we encounter in the world. Until the next episode, have a great day and a wonderful week.